Hello and welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. My name is Doug. I work at Faith Lutheran Church in Shelton, Washington. Thanks for, so much for tuning in today. How's everybody holding up? Do you need some encouragement? Need something to talk about when you can't get your Netflix to stream? How about we talk about resurrection? No, we're not going to talk about zombies. I'm going to talk about the central event and promise of the Christian faith. Many of us, when we gather on Sunday mornings, we would say something like, we believe in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. But where does this idea of resurrection come from, and what does it mean for us today? Well, I want to walk us through a few passages of the scripture, the Bible that teach us about resurrection, and offer you three or four practical takeaways and a prayer at the end. Fair enough? You'll want to have a Bible handy and maybe a way to take notes. I want to thank Chaz, my production manager, and shout out to the people of Faith Lutheran Church. Don't forget to go to www.faithshelton.org for worship resources for this Sunday, scripture references, Sunday school materials, and the like. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, and open our hearts and imaginations to receive the blessing and instruction of your word. Speak to us, O God, for your servants, your people are listening. You have the words of eternal life. Teach us what that means. Amen. Well, let's start in the Old Testament. Open up your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel is the third of the four major prophets in the Old Testament. You've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel. Just to kind of set the stage for Ezekiel, imagine living in a time when you've been forced into exile, when you can't go to the places you usually go. You're separated from family and friends. Travel and freedoms are restricted. You're not sure whenever, when things are going to get back to normal, and you wonder why God would let things get so bad in the first place. Can you relate? Well, this was the situation that Israel was in 600 years before Jesus. Ezekiel was a pastor at that time. His flock was scattered. They were unable to meet together. The temple they had worshipped in for so long had been destroyed. Ezekiel wrote down visions that God gave him to share with his congregation, to teach him that it was the people who would let things get out of hand, but that God was faithful. God would restore things. God would get the spiritual economy rolling again with a kind of Holy Spirit stimulus package. Interesting, the book of Ezekiel compares God to a good shepherd, describes God as one who pours out living water and raises the dead. For me, it was fun to review the book of Ezekiel to see how much of the book of Ezekiel shapes and flavors the gospel of John. And yes, that is the sort of thing I do for fun. Don't judge me. Anyway, we read Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out, of this, out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. 
I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and bones came together bone to bone. I looked and and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. There was no breath in them. Then God said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds, breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will sell you in your own land, and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Now, what do you notice in that story? I notice a few things. First of all, with this basic idea of resurrection, that it's a community thing. It's the resurrection of an entire people, an entire nation. The second thing I notice is that it involves bodies. Now, the thing about Hebrew thought is back then they didn't really try to divide up people in terms of like a soul or a spirit or bodies. It was all one and the same. There is no Doug without my body. The third thing that I notice is that it's the Ruach of God that brings breath into them. The Ruach of God. Ruach is the Hebrew word for spirit or wind or breath. So without the Spirit of God, they're just zombies. But with the Ruach of God, they are alive again. Fourth thing that I notice is that everybody is raised. There's no judgment or assignment of good or evil or or worthiness to be raised from the dead. And the fifth and most important thing is, uh, for me is that God is the one who's faithful. God is the instigator. God sees and provides the solution to the problem. God is for the people. The people may have given up on God, but God had never given up on them. So we move to the New Testament, to John, the 11th chapter. This idea of resurrection then, that that one day God would raise all the dead, breathe new life into all God's people, and establish forever the reign of God. Well, in Jesus' day, a faithful Jewish person would have understood that and had that as part of their belief system. So when Jesus comes and we hear this story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead... It's not something that would be totally foreign to them. So from this story of Ezekiel, we fast forward 600 years to the time of Jesus. 
In Jesus' day, resurrection then was a fairly understood concept and theological precept. The idea that God would someday raise all the dead, breathe new life into God's people and establish forever a new kingdom. But when Jesus comes and we hear the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, it seems like Jesus has more in mind than just what Ezekiel had talked about. So in John chapter 11, as you're turning to that uh, section, let me just kind of give you the gist of the story. Jesus' friend Lazarus is gravely ill. Jesus gets word of it, but rather than healing him instantly from a distance or rushing to his side, Jesus waits a couple days before making the journey to Lazarus' hometown, Bethany, where Lazarus lived with his two sisters, Martha and Mary. In fact, by the time Jesus arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has been dead and buried for four days. So we pick up in John chapter 11, verse 20, this conversation between Jesus and Martha. It says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, well, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, no, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. Well, the story goes on to tell us that Jesus does, in fact, raise Lazarus from the dead. It's one of seven signs in the Gospel of John given to show that Jesus was truly God, the same God who had given the vision and promise of resurrection to Ezekiel. The story of Lazarus also acts as a foreshadowing of Jesus' own death and resurrection, complete with the counting of days, the setting aside of grave clothes, the rolling away the stone. And there is a hint, a hint of a new way of thinking about resurrection, this language of eternal life. So let's talk about eternal life. Let's talk about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. For the first followers of Jesus, there was no doubt that he had risen from the dead. The question they wrestled with was, what was the significance of resurrection for the church and for the world? Two trains of thought emerged from the early church. The first was that the risen Jesus was going to return, probably in their lifetime, to usher in a new Israel. Ezekiel's vision was about to be realized. There's a wonderful word of encouragement that the Apostle Paul writes to a congregation, the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 14 says this, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you will not grieve like the rest of humanity who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, the apostle writes, encourage one another with these words. Well, spoiler alert, the rapture hasn't taken place yet. The Lord himself has not yet come down from heaven. So we've kind of been waiting for 2,000 years. And the church still affirms the promise that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. But we have to rethink this a little bit. So the other school of thought that emerged from the beginning of the church was that resurrection was not so much about a future last day of judgment, but about a real relationship with God in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit called eternal life. And that eternal life begins now. Eternal life happens whenever the Holy Spirit shows up and breathes new life and faith and community. Eternal life happened when Jesus breathed the Spirit into his disciples. Eternal life happened when God poured out the Holy Spirit on the church at Pentecost in Jerusalem. Eternal life happens in the waters of baptism when God named you and claimed you in the water and in the word. Eternal life happens whenever we experience the forgiveness of sins in the name of Christ. Eternal life is a daily dying and rising. Eternal life is life conformed to the dying and rising of Christ. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, We therefore were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Well, let me share share with you four takeaways. The first is this, that resurrection of the dead, it's good news. We're a resurrection people. We believe in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. We don't know exactly how it works or when it works or where it works, but we know that God's got this. And because we know that God holds us and that God holds the future, we find hope and faith and strength and comfort. We know that death cannot exile us or quarantine us forever. God holds us and always will. Second takeaway has to do with mortality. The thing is, the the promise of resurrection doesn't mean that we're immune from death. It just means that death doesn't have the final say. All of us die. But the Bible says that we die with Christ, and so we rise with Christ. I have to tell you that for me, the promise of resurrection uh, makes mortality, the fact that I've only got one life, it makes it a gift. It teaches me things like compassion, humility, Mercy, gratitude, urgency. Teaches me to make sure that I let people know that I love them. To make sure that I do whatever I can to make a difference in the world. To try to be a decent person. To try to honor God in everything that I do and say. And you know what? I have to thank God that I don't have to do this life forever. Or worse, to do this life over and over again. Resurrection is good news. We're still mortal. The third takeaway is that, um, that the Christian life allows us to embrace both life and death. 
So I think we're at a great time in our, in our country situation to help our neighbors sort through and talk about things about death and dying. We're the sort, because of our assurance that we have in Christ, we can make advanced directives. We can update our wills and plan our funerals. We can talk to our kids about what we want to see happen when we die. We can talk about what we imagine will happen when we die. We can have conversations about where our grandparents and great-grandparents are buried. Let's cherish this time that we have together. Look, the coronavirus itself is not going to kill everybody. We know that. The opportunity here is that it's got people talking about life and death. So let's be part of those conversations. And maybe we have an opportunity to give other people the same kind of encouragement and hope that we have in Christ through the resurrection of the dead and the promise of eternal life. The fourth takeaway is this. Eternal life begins now. You and I don't have to wait until the grave to experience the promise of life everlasting, the forgiveness of sins, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the communion of saints. These are for you and for me now, today, every day. Look, maybe you're feeling alone or vulnerable or isolated. You feel deflated. You feel as though you've had the wind knocked out of you. Maybe you, like those people in Israel 600 years before Christ, had lost hope. Well, just as Ezekiel spoke to the people then, may the Holy Spirit speak to you today a word of encouragement. Take heart. God has come to restore your sense of hope. God has come to breathe new life in you. The God who raised Lazarus from the dead has come to revive and animate your tired old bones. You are not alone. You are loved. Oh, people of God, let's pray. God, you who raised Lazarus from dead, the dead, renew, resurrect these tired old bones. We confess we've let you down, God. We've let others down. We've let ourselves down through our actions, our thoughts, our choices. Forgive us, God, for Jesus' sake. Wash us. Fill us with your holy breath. Wash us with the waters of baptism. Pull me out of the grave I've dug for myself. You are the resurrection and the life. Lord, help us to believe you are who you say you are. Your will for us is good. You have forgiven us. You have cleansed us. And you have named us as your own. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to this week's Wolf Preach for Food podcast. I hope it's sparked some conversation and given you some encouragement for the week ahead. You can access other episodes through our website, www.faithshelton.org. You can subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or any other way you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to like us, and while you're at it, post a comment. Love to hear from you. Share this link with a friend, or better yet, call a friend right now and find some way to bless and encourage them with something you've learned. We leave you with a benediction, a good word. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you and God's grace overflow in you. May God's favor rest on you and give you the peace that passes understanding. Oh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.